Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And so I think when you have this desperateness or a passion and you love what you do, you become a stronger communicator. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Today we're talking with my friend Nancy Duarte. She's a presentation and communication expert, author of the new book, Illuminate, Ignite Change Through Speeches, Stories, Ceremonies, and Symbols. Nancy's been around in the game for a while. She's an OG presenter, OG communication expert. You've seen her on TED, and a lot of the books that are written about presentation that aren't by her are books that have taken a lot of what she has originated and repackaged it. So today, you should listen to the show if you wanna learn what great communicators have in common and how to borrow from their playbook, how to frame yourself as a leader in your business, even if you don't consider yourself a figurehead, and how to learn and master the highest leverage communication skills for the quickest and most dynamic return on your time and effort for business or for personal reasons. So enjoy this one with Nancy Duarte. And by the way, if you're new to the show, we'd love to send you some top episodes of The Art of Charm and The Toolbox, where we discuss concepts like body language, and nonverbal communication, persuasion, networking, negotiation, mentorship, and everything else we teach here at The Art of Charm. If you're in the United States, you can text CHARMED, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444. Everywhere else, go to theartofcharm.com. Also, at theartofcharm.com slash podcast, you can find the full show notes for this and all previous episodes. All right, here's Nancy Duarte. One of the reasons I was interested in talking with you is you're famous for a lot of different reasons, right? Slideology and, and having great slides and presentations and techniques on that. But I would imagine by this point, you're a little bit sick of talking about three ways to three be tips. a charismatic presenter. And so I feel like that's a, a thing that we can stay away from. You asked me when you walked in, what qualifies these guys to be charm experts? But I also have to ask, when I first saw the books, I was like, well, so many people teach presentations. I mean, what is this public speaking or you teach PowerPoint? I mean, come on, what is this really? I would like you to tell us a little bit about what you do because it is kind of a unique niche. I mean, you go from design firm to just presentations. Why narrow it down? Why niche so hard? Yeah. So I, it was interesting timing because we were a generalist design firm. And most of our work though was presentations. Mm -hmm. Apple was the first company to hook up a uh, projector to a computer and they were our largest client. Oh, wow. And so what happened is a uh, 2000.com crash was happening same time the book Good to Great came out, Jim Collins book. And in that book, he has a hedgehog concept which is that you should, whatever it is that you can be passionate about, be best in the world at, be profitable at, to do just that one thing. So I knew that we were best in class at presentations. So I shuttered the doors on everything, which was counterintuitive as an entrepreneur when the economy's crashing right. to also cut all your services. But we did. We cut to the core and the people who loved presentations are the ones I kept and we just built 
amazing industry. Actually, when uh, 2008 came out, that's when my first book, Slide Oliver, came out. (laughs) And I didn't have competitors back then. Like, nobody did what we did. It was like this reviled medium. And we've changed it into kind of a respected medium and created hundreds of small presentation agencies. I mean, when you create jobs, that's such a blessing. Sure. Be great if all those clients just work directly for you, of course. (laughs) Look, it's good consolation prizes, job creation as a whole. Right. You've been doing this for 25 years, though. So you must have seen a lot of transformations, especially in Silicon Valley. And you mentioned Apple before. Steve Jobs was really well known for presentation shops and especially for his evolution, being able to do that over time. Because if you look at old videos of him, it's not that amazing. It's just somebody who's not afraid of the stage. But towards the end, it's clear that he's really, really honed in on it. To what extent does that track what you teach and what you do? Because sure, slides, you wrote a whole book about it, but there's more to presentations than just slides. It's funny. I've actually transcribed every one of his talks available on public, you know, that's publicly available just to see like, what's the nuance? What's the Mm -hmm. language and and how did he do it? And we, I have a case study of his in both uh, Resonate and the new book, Illuminate. And I, I think what happens is when he stepped in and had to really drive change, first thing he did when he showed up at Apple is he had to move everyone from Mac OS 9 to Mac OS 10. And it wound up being the largest software migration in mm-hmm. history. It took about five years, but it was so important. Like it was desperate because if the developers didn't move to 10, everything was going to fail. And so I think when you have this desperateness or a passion and you love what you do, you become a stronger communicator. So that's why, like, some people kind of work at boring jobs. You know, like, why should they become passionate about communicating if they don't even love what they do? So I encourage people to find something else then that you're passionate about, even if it's a nonprofit, because you become a better communicator there. You'll bring those skills back to your job. It'll just naturally happen. So I think it comes from a place of passion and a commitment to Apple's future. Sure. I can see that with Apple. And how do we sort of niche this or scale this down, I should say, to somebody who just works right now in a job they consider temporary. They're waiting to get that startup job or they're waiting to get accepted at Google or Facebook. So they're just putting in hours doing something else or even maybe even earlier than that, they're still in school or they're working at something that they they know is temporary, like Chipotle or a movie theater <laughs> where I worked, right? They're kind of working there and they're thinking, I don't need to work on this skill right now because yeah. I can't even use it. Yeah. I'm always the type that prepares for the future no matter what. Mm-hmm. So some of the tools kind of the speech making or the storytelling that's in my work. I mean, it helps me get my husband to do chores on the weekend. Like How? it's a persuasive How does pattern. That, can you show us a little bit of that? Show can you us a little bit? You don't have to show us. <laughs> like you can teach us out. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Role play it. So one of the things that happens, I, I mm. studied storytelling for three years. And then I took the insights from storytelling and I looked at the 100 greatest speeches of all time. Like Martin and, Luther King. Yep, Dr. King, even St. Francis of Assisi, even uh, great politicians. Like, you know, there's actually a book called 100 Greatest Speeches of All Time. So I just grabbed that. Great. <laughs> that was all right. Nice. And I high. took all the insights from storytelling because the greatest speeches kind of build tension and release. Mm. It has like a pulse, a cadence, like a rhythm to it. And I yeah. wanted to find what is that? How do you define what that is? is. And so what what the pulsing of the building and releasing of story tension comes from the gap between what is and what could be. So what you would do is you paint a picture of the current realities. Mm-hmm. Hey, honey, did you notice how messy the kitchen is <laughs> and how hard I've been working lately? Just imagine how cheerful I would be if 
we work together to solve this, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the gap between painting a picture of a blissful future for him should he ha- happen <laughs> with the chores. So it's a structural device. Right. So when you contrast the current realities with the hope of this great way it'll be, the human brain processes contrast readily. I mean, that is how we're wired to process information. So to speak in a way that shows the contrast, it's a persuasive story form. I would imagine by now, though, the second you start the story arc, he just goes, all right, I'll do it. (laughs) No, no, no. No. Oh, so he doesn't see it coming? No, he hasn't quite. So he doesn't quite, he hasn't read your books, obviously. He has read them. Oh, good. I was going to say, huh? He hasn't. He's so lovely. My husband's very lovely. Yeah. You have to say that now. We have actually super good marriage. 34 years. Two weeks ago is our 34 wow, year anniversary. Yeah. And we work together. Oh, man. And really like each other. Good. See, well, I w- still work with my fiance. Oh, nice. People, when I hired her, though, people were like, this is a terrible idea. This is 100% terrible. Nothing good can come of this. It's going to be awful. You're going to end up ruining a relationship. That has not happened yet. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. We, we sometimes think about writing a book, but we don't know if people will take marriage advice from the presentation lady, but we're thinking about writing about what um, makes it work. I don't know. People take all kinds of advice from me and you were and asking me, and I'm supposedly the charm guy. I mean, that's something we got to rethink too. So maybe you have to pivot to marriage advice and I've got to pivot to anything else but charm. Oh, you're charming. Well, now you have to say that too. <laughs> Would you say that you took the story arc, the classic story arc that's been around for unchanged forever and kind of updated it? I did watch the TED Talk as well as read the books. And there's the Plato three-act structure. Yeah, three it's a straight structure. line, flat line story yeah, arc. Aristotle. I don't remember each of the points from Freud's story arc, but it goes like that mm-hmm. naturally in an, in an arc. Mm-hmm. And yours goes like, it looks kind of... Like pumpkin teeth. Yes, it looks like pumpkin teeth. It yeah. does. Like half of a zipper. Yeah. Digitally created on a really crappy old computer, right? Like just all straight angles. What is that all about? What's yeah. going on? So that is actually the structure of a great speech that was inspired mm-hmm. through the insights that I got through storytelling. And it is that contrast I was just talking about between what is and what could be. So as you're moving along and you establish what is at the beginning of every talk, if you look at what Steve Jobs, he always did kind of a state of the union. Hey, here's the state of Apple. Yikes. You know, so you do kind of state of the union. Here's the elephant in the room. Here's what we're dealing with. Here's our financials or whatever is the yes. what is. And then in storytelling, there's always an inciting incident where the audience is kind of brought out of balance. And then the rest of the whole time is resolving balance to the world. So what you do is you introduce what could be this new future. And then structurally through the whole talk, you move between what is, what could be, what is, what could be. Then you do a call to action. And at the end, and you always end with the new bliss. The new bliss being. Restating how great the world is going to be if we all rally together and do this thing. Yeah, because the principle of recency says they'll remember the last thing you mm. said more than they'll remember the beginning or the middle. So you want that last thing to bear the kind of promise and hope sure. that you want them to leave the room with. So that was the structure. And I think I analyzed, I don't know, 15 talks or something in Resonate where I annotated yeah, it. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, but I have about 50 more that I've done since then. So I have slew of tons and tons of talks that analyze its data. Are you going to release like a compendium of this? Yeah, I need to do that. So I have them and I've delivered them, but I I need to do that because people are super interested in it. It it must be really tricky to analyze a huge number of talks because they're not all 20 minutes or 15 minutes, right? Some of these are like an hour and a half long. Are you just going like this the whole time? Yeah. Well, so what's funny is I'm not a digital native, so I don't know Illustrator or any of that. So actually, Steve Jobs' 90-minute iPhone launch I did on graph paper. 
like I hand wrote the words on graph paper, and it was long. It's like forty foot long of well, little tiny designer. squares of graph well, paper. I think you got a whole bunch of that laying around. <laughs> so then they had to go in pixel by the minute. You know, once I knew, once I could throw the pros into whether it's what is or what could be, and then the designers went in by the pixel by the second. The intern person who now hates you. <laughs> Digitize that whole thing. Twenty people. I have about sixty-five designers. I have okay. writers. Yeah. So I you have. had a full timer who now hates you. Do it instead. <laughs> I had someone full time helping. Yeah. The good. book, the visual parts. Yeah, of the books, they're like yeah. just looking at their four hundred one k digitizing eight thousand turns. Over the last seventeen years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all gonna give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, back to the show. One of the keys in the new book, you've got the five stages of a venture. 
dream leap, fight, climb, and arrive. It's almost like it's an epic poem right, it is. in the form of a presentation. What is this Torchbearer's Toolkit? What are these? Why is this important? Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that you could see the storytelling in it because when you're leading and driving a movement, you're asking people to change. We call the leader a torchbearer, and we call the people coming along the trip with them the travelers, kind of like Frodo, right? Mm -hmm, right. Let's head out and bring a bunch of friends with us and make a difference. And so a torchbearer, if you think about the concept of when and where you even need to bear a torch, usually it's dark, kind of scary place possibly. And a torch only casts enough light to dispel fear the nearby fear, right? Mm -hmm. You can't see for miles and miles and miles with a torch. And right. so the leader's role when you're driving change and driving to a new future is to communicate in a way that makes that short-term trip desirable and doable. And so that's what you're trying to do is get people to take the next leg and then you get them to take the next leg and the next leg toward this new desired future. So the processes that you need to understand. So the VentureScape is a tool for empathy. The leaders, they declare a dream and then they're like, hurry up and get there. Like, mm. just get there. It's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. So the minute your travelers hear the dream, they're scared. They feel hopeless. They see, I'm going to have to sacrifice my time. I'm going to have to sacrifice some of my money. I'm going to have to do all this stuff. I don't get paid more. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. what they go through. Right. Loss aversion. Yeah. And you have to understand, oh, when I say this, they're going to feel this way. Mm -hmm. So you need to meet them where they're at. So you cast a dream, you need a moment of inspiration, then they leap, they need to make a moment of decision. When they're fighting, they need a moment of bravery. When they're climbing, they need a moment of endurance. When they arrive, they need a moment to reflect. And you as the leader create the atmosphere for them to feel the right way at each stage as you're driving them to a new future. I like how the book had different, what do you call it? Like polarity kind of, oh, the dream. It can be a really positive thing or it can be like this really catastrophic. When you arrive, it could be like, yes, let's bask in the glory of it all. Or like, hey, we failed and like everybody. Failed. Yeah, but do it yeah, as a team. So each phase, like the dream phase, you could have a motivating or a warning speech, mm -hmm. a motivating story or a warning story, a motivating ceremony or a warning ceremony. And you need to know which when to use. If a cautionary tale is the most important, you need to tell a cautionary tale. So it's really fun. And there's a tear out. There's a big matrix on the inside that it's like a guide. I've yeah, had to pull, I, I wrote the book. I've had to pull it out twice to lead my own team. Be That's like, great. Oh, I think the people are feeling like this. Oh my God, I was going to communicate like that. And I need to be communicating. It like kind of, this. yeah, it, it, it was funny when I saw it. Cause I was of course, instantly pictures full color. I mean, you got my attention cause I'm still eight years old when I read books. I noticed that it cut out of the book and I thought there's some element of excitement that you get a prize to hear the sound. Yeah. You get a prize in the middle of the book and it's got the cool laser perforation. That's fun to use, but only works once, but it is kind of like this nifty bonus thing in the middle of the book that you could put up on your wall and go, all right, when I'm managing people, I've got to do one of these things or when I have to give a talk, I can go with the structure, which is great because if you're anything like me, when you read a book, you think I'm keeping this around for reference and it goes somewhere <laughs> and you hope. never see it again. And then when you need to refer to it, it's really not that quick, right? Yeah. You just look for it online. And if you can't find it, you give up. Yeah. At that's least funny. that's everyone under 40 so far that I've ever met in my life. With these stories, with your arc or with your, your story zipper, <laughs> you need to understand what moves others. You need to be able to inspire action with your words. What if I'm a leader that really is just reluctant to even say like I'm a leader? Maybe I just manage the place. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm going to stand up there and Steve Jobs this thing. Look, let's not take it too seriously. I work at Walmart or I work at Jimboree across the street. 
I don't need to make this too dramatic. I'm no Steve Jobs. I'm no charismatic It's been heartbreaking for me to see how many people self-select out of leading. It's funny because one of the favorite stories I love is a letter that my niece wrote. She's 11 years old. She's never read my books, never been to workshops. I did not help her create this, but she did an impassioned plea to her dad, like wrote out this, like, I have to have a mouse. Like her, yeah, her whole life, like Mm. impassioned plea. And it followed the form perfectly. So I think when you really care about something, and I can't believe everyone just bumbles through life not having anything that lights their fire, anything where they're like, I need to see this evil reversed. I need to see this justice come to the uh, mm-hmm. unjust. I just I, I just can't imagine that there isn't something that lights people up enough. Granted, mm-hmm. she's 11 and her thing was a mouse. <laughs> yeah. Is to get yourself in a place where you care enough to make a difference. And... Mm. Did she get the mouse? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you not. have to give her the mouse at that yeah. point. Yeah, it was really cute. <laughs> I think, though, with leaders, it's not just I can't do this, but there's probably also a certain percentage of people that think, even if I did do this, that my team is just going to think it's ridiculous. So they're just going to roll their eyes or upper management's not going to let me do it. And I'm not at the top, so I can't start communicating like this. How do you train people when they call you in? I mean, I would imagine people at the top call you in to train them, but then they go, I need all my managers to know this. And then that's maybe the point where you reach a little bit of resistance. Like, look, the CEO called you in. We're going to friggin' humor you. And then we're going to eat lunch and go home, right? There's got to be some element of that. How do you motivate them with your words to actually take this stuff seriously? Yeah, it's better when there's a commitment from the top. Yeah, of course. The bigger frustration comes when somebody at the bottom has bought into this and then they fight hard to say, hey, we could be a world-class brand if we communicated like this. So it's fun when we get to work with a leader because then we build a whole system. Like we give them tools. We give the revolutionary tools. I actually have a call right after this, like 30 minutes after this talk with a CIO of one of the largest public companies in the world. Same thing needs to transform how her geeky. Yeah. Self-styled. Yeah. Tech introverts communicates because technology is your partner now. It's not just something that happens in the bowels of the business anymore. So now she has to transform these analytical types into storytellers, into ones that can communicate and sell their idea. So it's happening across the board. I mean, if you even look at the core curriculum that was introduced, it really is about articulating. How do you articulate your subject matter? And so it's an incredible skill. So if you look at, we emailed each other, social media with each other, but now we're in a room together. Right. And now we have the opportunity to connect in a very human and emotional way. But so many people don't. When they're in the room, they don't. And if you have content that emotionally connects them and you deliver it in a way that's amazing, people will choose you. They get to make a choice every time they meet people. Right. They choose yeah. you. And I don't know why people self-select out. That's been the most heartbreaking thing about Illuminate. The minute they know it was written for a leader, they're like, oh, I don't need that right. book. I, I don't lead. And I think everyone is called to lead. And you have to choose to accept the call, right? It's like a mantle. Like Frodo's like, oh, my God, a ring just landed in my head. And he didn't go dink and throw it over his shoulder. He he took the call. And I think a lot of people refuse it. And that's why we wrote a a whole little, like a poem called The Torchbearer's Calling, because it it's just something burns inside of you and you have to get it out. And you will do everything you can to learn how to communicate in a way that will drive people to see this dream reality. Lennon and McCartney, Jagger and Richards, Watson and Crick, AJ and Johnny. What about the perfect duo when it comes to growing your business? Well, that's you and Shopify. 
That's right, Johnny. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling your own fire merch or promoting your productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, as well as millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And AJ, you don't have to just sell your stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from the brands that you love, giving your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no-excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash charm. Go to shopify.com slash charm now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash charm. Thanks for listening and supporting the Art of Charm for a list of all of our amazing sponsors and discount codes to get great deals with those sponsors. Visit theartofcharm.com slash advertisers. Now, back to the show. What if I am naturally a little bit more shy, a little bit more introverted? I mean, I'm not going to ask for tips for getting on stage and ditching stage fright. I think that's a little basic, but I do think there are people that do self-select. And how do you teach even a CEO that hires you and goes, look, this is my weak area. I'm not sure I can do this. How do you start somebody like that off? Because you're going to the top. You're not getting them to look people in the eye when they're in the audience and then go sit down. You know, what's funny is the hardest thing about getting people to be transparent and to use story and storytelling is that if you look at the structure of a story, a three-act structure, there's this likable person. They went through a really tough time. Like you think about the middle of a movie, it's like they lose the girl, they get bit by the dragon, they're missing an arm, they still have to climb out of a pit. Like it's hard, but that whole experience changed them. What's hardest for leaders that are trying to communicate, introverted, extroverted, all of them, is to stand up in front of people and say, life was hard for me once, but it changed me. And there's no better way to connect to others than that way. So, so often more of the introverted types feel like me standing up and telling a story is sharing fiction. I should just tell facts. I should just be repeating research and facts. And just that's not true. Like, having a connection. I'll follow a leader that's tried and failed before I'll follow a leader who pretends they never fail, mm. you know? And so you, you have to put it out there and create a connection to really lead. That's why people have devoted like followers. So I think introvert, extrovert, no matter what, that's the hardest part is to be very transparent in how you communicate and when you're leading through storytelling. So basically the vulnerability that a lot of people think is actually their weakness could be turned into the strength that they have. That gives them the the credibility. 
yeah. to become a leader in the first place. Absolutely. And you've got to go through the whole therapy session with them probably to get them there in the first <laughs> we place. We have to pull and some, you know, sometimes we pull stories out there like I could never tell that right. one in public, you know, but we try to create a little catalog and coach them and when to use the kinds of stories and where and when and how and well, the timing on the book was interesting because I just had watched part of this Tony Robbins documentary on Netflix. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. I just uh-huh. watched part of it because it's long. It's something you take in small doses, in my opinion. But I'm not super experienced with his stuff, but I was reading story arcs and vulnerability and all this stuff. And of course, the regular art of charm concepts and nonverbal communication and rapport building and all that stuff. And then I'm looking at this guy. And the first thing he's doing is like, this is how my life was screwed up. And then he's like, who else can identify with that? And he'll pick that person. And then he's talking with them and he's breaking their psychological space and he's getting in there real, real deep. And there's always the story arc when he's talking. And when other people are talking, he almost, he'll even force them into the story arc because he'll say, well, and then what happened? Creating like a vacuum to pull them along, which I believe you talk about in your TED talk as well. And so when you see people who've really mastered this stuff, later on Steve Jobs type stuff where he's really, really crushing it. It's following most of the principles that you have in the book. They probably just didn't have names for it. I get asked like, hey, did Dr. King use your materials? Yeah. No, my first birthday was the day before that. I have a dream speech. I mean, it's there. I think it's been part of the human condition and how we communicate when we have something very important to us, whether it's a mouse or a massive software migration or civil rights movement. When it's important to you, you work hard on how you communicate it. You work with a lot of CEOs. The people you train are super high performers. What do you find they have in common when it comes to their communication habits? Yeah, it's funny because we work at the highest level. And then we also have, we work with like engineers too. Like I think the patterns are all kind of the same. Mm-hmm. I know that if they don't nail this skill, their careers are at a standstill. <laughs> they won't move forward. Right. So a lot of people are not getting promoted. or So if the CEO calls us, it's because there's a really critical or careful piece of communication or rallying to do. Pretty much everyone else under that, it's blocking them from their career advancement almost always. So what do you find that they're doing right and what do you find that they're doing wrong? Because these are people who operate at a high level. So it's going to have the same problems as you would with, oh, well, this person looks at the ground when they speak. It's not going to be something that simple. Yeah, it's interesting because we've thought a lot about how hard it is when you're following a leader or when you are working with a leader to get them to be self-aware like of how they're coming across <laughs> sure. right? because they just... They're just commanding. They just kind of dictate from a perch. And they, they don't care because they're getting it done. And all that matters to them is they're getting it done. And they don't understand how the people around them feel while they're getting it done. Right. And so that's why a lot of the uh, models in my books are actually models for empathy. So it's like, picture it this way, you know, mm-hmm. and feel for a moment what it feels like to be your audience. So it's very Do you get resistance from that, though, when you're talking with like an Elon Musk who's like, feel what? No, get out of here. I haven't spoken to him. (laughs) I would tell him straight up. Enjoy that one. Um, (laughs) um, Yes. I mean, there is resistance to kind of tap into your emotions and all that stuff. And so you can't lead with that. You can't go straight there. So the power of Resonate, I think, and that's what the TED Talk was based on, is the data. I mean, the hundreds of speeches that I analyzed that showed that there is a building of tension and releasing it, you can have all information and use that form and not go straight to vulnerable, not tell a personal story arc. But that's why now our body of work is getting into now, now, 
now you need a narrative about who you are and why this is important to you. It can't only be about data that contrasts mm. enough to persuade. And so it's been really interesting as people are starting to open up to that and understand its power. Finally. Finally, right? yeah. I hate to be really general when you've written such a beautiful book, but what aspects do you think of human communication, our communication are fixed and which elements are flexible? Oh, that's super. Nobody's ever asked me that. I do think that there's a natural style everybody has. Like all the men in my family are introverts and my daughter and I are extroverts. So I think there's some people <laughs> that are just more comfortable, like, yeah, I'll just get up and wing it. Sure. The interesting thing about that is extroverts are totally comfortable getting up and winging it. An introvert will plan. And they will have such thoughtful things to say, right? We'll just wing it and do okay. If you can get an introvert to actually, they'll work hard on it and they'll craft their words and they'll do it. It's just getting them to open their mouth sure. and get up to say something. So I think that the more classic introverts has to work harder on just wanting to have a voice and have it be heard. Sure. And I think the extroverts need to be working harder on just think for a second before you open your mouth, <laughs> like to be right. more effective. So there's, there's kind of both um, that work against the middle. Right. So our personality type or whatever you might call that, our communication paradigm might be introvert or extrovert, but where there is flexibility, where there is momentum or motion anyway, is the ability to tell the introvert or have them step on the gas a little bit right. and with the extrovert to reel it in a little bit so that maybe they put in couple of milliseconds of thought into whatever they're saying. It's comes funny, out I think mouth. like there's a temperament that fixates on the future and there's temperaments that fixate on the present or past. Mm. So I'm very future focused. Yeah, I I'm feel like I'm constantly that Is that dreaming. called worrying all the time? No, I think we realize <laughs> that? that we're headed to another place and we want to be prepared to be at the right place in the future. And I think le that's the leader's role is we're to anticipate the future and make sure all the people that travel with us are at the right place in the future or they don't have jobs or... And I, like, my husband's very present. He's very past present. And I needed to be married to someone like that or our kids probably wouldn't have turned out. What, right. what does that look like? And it's just like, even my son last night we were talking about, he was, I just think about today because I gave both my kids a very forward facing document. Mm. It's all theory, right? But this is how I anticipate my personal future is going to roll out. Let's talk through this, right? And I, and we had a whole talk. He goes, I, I'm just concerned about the present. I don't even think this way. Hmm. And so I said, well, when I was built, he's an entrepreneur and building his business. It went for 20 years. I just had to be focused on the present on my business. Now I finally get to think about shaping the future. And I think that's what leaders, so managers manage the present, but leaders invent the future and drive people toward it. And I think that's the biggest difference. So I think Besides introvert and extrovert, there's also, are you more present facing or are you more future facing? And those two things also drive different kinds of behavior that you need to have as a communicator. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was great to meet you. Likewise. Yeah, she's sharp as a tack. I mean, she really has amazing communication skills. She's taught the best. She's learned from the best. And most importantly, she has studied just about everybody in the game when it comes to dynamic, charismatic communicators that really have this stuff dialed in. If you've enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Nancy on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes as well as her books and other resources that we mentioned here on the show today. You can tap the screen on your phone right now if you're listening on your phone, the little cartoon icon of AJ and I, the, the show art, and you can see the show notes right on your phone. I'm also on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. Boot Camps, our live programs here at The Art of Charm. Details on that at Boot Camp. 
gottheartofcharm.com. This is a life-changing program. It's sold out months in advance because of that. So if you're even thinking about it a little bit, get in touch with us. We'll get some info out to you so you can plan ahead. Also, we have our social capital challenge. You can text CHARMED to 33444. That's C-H-A-R-M-E-D to 33444 anywhere in the U.S. Or go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. The challenge is about improving your networking and connection skills, inspiring those around you to develop a personal and professional relationship with you, and we'll email you our fundamentals toolbox that I mentioned earlier in the show, videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward. It'll make you a better networker, a better connector, and a better thinker. That's theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text charmed in the U.S. to 33444. For full show notes for this and all previous episodes, head over to theartofcharm.com slash podcast. This episode of The Art of Charm was produced by Jason DeFilippo. Jason Sanderson is our audio engineer and editor. Show notes on the website are by Robert Fogarty. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. So stay charming and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at the Art of Charm Podcast dot com.